Welcome to More Than Medicine, where Jesus is more than enough for the ills that plague our culture and our country. Hosted by author and physician, Dr. Robert Jackson, and his wife, Carlotta, and daughter, Hannah Miller. So listen up, because the doctor is in. Welcome to More Than Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Jackson, bringing to you biblical insights and stories from the country doctor's rusty, dusty scrapbook. Well, we're privileged once again to bring you calm and rational discourse on a multiplicity of current issues, and we're delighted that we're covering the Southeast like the dew covers Dixie. Well, I'm privileged today to have a guest with me today, Miss Diane Hardy with the South Carolina Mom and Pop Alliance. Miss Diane, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you so much for having me on, Dr. Jackson. Well, I'd like for you to identify the Mom and Pop Alliance, tell a little bit about yourself so that my listeners can know who you are and what you are about. Go right ahead. Okay, well, great. Well, thank you so much. Well, I started the Mom and Pop Alliance about uh, a little over three years ago now. I myself am a small business owner. We have 44 employees. And um, during COVID, I was surprised to uh, learn that really us the small businesses in our state don't have much of a voice in our state house. And so that's why we founded the Mom and Pop Alliance. So we help provide a stronger voice for small businesses in our state house. We um, are just work throughout the whole state of South Carolina, and we work on uh, various issues. And um, we just really feel that small businesses are the backbone of our country and uh, need more um, of a voice. I got you. Now, I had you on, I don't know, a couple of months ago. And and I was so pleased with the things that you were sharing and talking about. And all of a sudden, th- this thing with Budweiser came up uh, a month or so ago. And they brought in a, a transgender person to represent their program. And all of a sudden, their sales plummeted. And then we see uh, famous personalities taking cases of Budweiser and blowing them up with tannerite and shooting them up with shotguns and i'm like my goodness what in the world has happened to budweiser tell me tell me something about this diane what in the world has happened to budweiser well i mean budweiser has uh been exposed for supporting esgs but i don't fully the the i don't think people realize the pressure companies are under to um comply with esg metrics um, there are so many different ways that they are forced to comply, but I'm glad to see that consumers are pushing back, but there are lots and lots of companies that don't get any pushback, and I don't know if they ever will, like Apple and, and various other ones, but it's great that people are waking up to ESGs. We've been working on that in our organization, and a little bit of what an ESG is, for maybe people who don't know, it's a social credit score. It's based on um, three metrics that are constantly changing. It would be environmental or climate change, social justice, and governance. And they mean governance of, they want to have a say in how you govern your company. They want to govern your company. And so it's a really uh, complex form of social credit scoring, and it measures a variety of ever-changing woke priorities. And businesses are basically rewarded, compared, and punished based on these ESG scores. 
And so it's really in their interest to have a high ESG score because if they don't, the government um, has a variety of carrots and sticks that if you have a low ESG score, you may lose government contracts, you may not be available for grants, you may not get permitting. And then also you have um, not just the government, but you have BlackRock and other big investment firms that will pull out. They use their proxy voting to get you to kowtow. And you have banks that may even threaten you losing financial services. So some of these companies are really in between a rock and a hard place. I got you. I got you. Well, now, is this something that affects small companies as well? Just beginning to see that. So let me back up a little. The whole goal of this is we have people who want to um, go around representative government. So these ESGs are a way to have social change instituted very quickly. So the ESG metrics can change on a whim. And so these big companies are constantly jumping through hoops so they won't face the punishment. And so they are um, complying with these ESG scores. And one of the things they have to do to be compliant is to obtain ESG scores on their vendors, who they purchase from and uh, who they sell to. So, um, you know, we wrote an article recently on this. It's in Fitz News, and it's also on our website. Our website is momandpopalliance.org. So if people want to find that um, article, it's up there in red at the top of our website, momandpopalliance.org. And the name of the article is Going Woke, What's Really Going On? And it's inside ESGs and the broader bid to centralize power in America. And I will tell you that this article, I've been studying ESGs for three years. I've been down at our state house um, advocating for small businesses against ESG. And But yet this article took me 15 rewrites to get it right because it is an extremely complex topic. And But the goal is at the end, it, we're just starting to see this trickle down to small businesses. So give a really good example in the article um, of how ESG can um, impact small businesses. And, and if you are, let's say you're a big hotel chain and you use a local landscaping company, to um, do your landscaping. Well, Marriott needs to get an ESG score on that small little family-owned South Carolina local uh, landscaping business, or they're going to lower their own ESG scores. So that's how you force even small businesses to comply, even though they, they don't want to. And we're just starting to see this now with small businesses receiving surveys, asking about their carbon footprint, asking about their... Um, uh, such questions as does your company have specific targets related to environmental sustainability and things like that. And then the concern is that it will actually could even trickle down what they would like. Those that are pushing this would like it to trickle down to the individual level. So insurance companies would not want to take even customers or people who have low ESG scores. Would that affect the ability of small businesses to get loans from a bank if their ESG scores are not adequate? Yes, it very much could. We've had um, just one that I know of here. Um, I believe it was Palmetto Armory lost their banking from Bank of America but because Bank of America said it was too much of a social risk to take on any um, gun 
uh, businesses. So they lost their banking. And um, it's just starting. We're just starting to see it. We haven't seen a lot of it yet, but the goal is for it to trickle down to small business and then ultimately the individual. And then, of course, the worst case scenario is tying the ESG score to a central bank digital currency. And that may be more than you want to get into today, but um, that is the, 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 the end goal, I believe, and, uh, the, and the most concerning part of all this. Well, that is concerning. And I, I do have I have friends and people that I know who talk a lot about the central bank digital currency and their concerns about how that will affect uh, small business and how that will affect uh, them personally down the road. And, and uh, there's a lot of buzz about central bank digital currency in the circles that I run in. Yes, well, the central bank digital currency is, you know, it's not tied to any commodity, but the concern with it is, is you could tie it to an ESG score and the government would be aware of all of your purchases and it would all be digitized. So you, you could be, you could also be rewarded and punished based on how much you're following ESG. And the amazing thing about ESG is it is not at all uh, consistent in any way. There is a real push to have it be consistent. So there are no uh, true metrics like there is, say, in accounting. Um, but um, so far, they've not been able to build a consensus on what a global ESG score looks like. And um, whoever, of course, would get to decide those metrics would get to be kind of king of the world. So the ESG metrics can change from day to day. And that's why you see some of these companies going more and more outrageous in what they're having to do to keep their... There's actually two scores. There's an ESG score and there's a CEI score. And the CEI score has to do with the LGBTQ stuff. So there are two different scores they have to keep track of and, and, and try to keep up um, in order to not face the, the various um, punishments and um, that can be levied on them. Now, I understand there's a whole new industry um, uh, of folks that are have expertise in how to help companies comply. Is that fair to say? Oh, yes. I would say there is a whole ESG industrial complex now. And so there is, of course, you have the large accounting firms loving this because they are making great money in, quote, helping um, businesses stay ESG compliant. Then you have the continuing education where you're talking about um, DEI training. All the DEI training is part of this. And then you have continuing education for HR and for corporate attorneys. So companies are just spending a fortune on all this ESG um, craziness, I think. But And if um, that, all of that adds, it's at every step of the supply chain and it's on all the services. So, you know, if you're getting insurance through, through your company, you insurance companies are paying for ESG compliance. So that's an added cost at every single step that everybody's paying. So even if you don't own a business, you should really care about ESG because you are paying all of these hidden costs. That's a trickle-down cost to the consumers. Everybody, you know, the, the big business, they aren't paying for that. They're going to pass that on down to you and me. Mm-hmm, exactly. So, um, yeah, so that's why we should all really cons be concerned about this. But in a much bigger picture, ESG, because they are able to institute social change so quickly by by instituting and changing these ESG metrics, it's really completely going an end run around the voting booth. So you're going around representative government. You're go it's a way to go around the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and it also up upends free markets. So the, 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 in this one 
thing, they are able to accomplish all of that if we don't wake up and stop ESG. Well, that begs the question, what in the world can we as individuals do to prevent this from affecting our culture, our society? Yes. Well, and I tell you, there there is some things we can do. So I do want people to, um, you know, it, it does sound extremely overwhelming. And when I first started studying this a few years ago, I thought, oh, my gosh. I mean, believe it or not, it's been going on for 20 years. It's been under the radar because if you speak out about it, you are you will be threatened of being canceled as the um, Dilbert cartoon creator. He found he did a really cute, funny uh, a cartoon poking fun at ESG. And then his cartoon was canceled in 77 newspapers, like, immediately. Um, So that's why we haven't heard much about it. It's been going on for 20 years. So when I first started really studying this a few years back, I thought, wow, there's, there's no way to fight this. I mean, they're just too far ahead and it's, it's undercover and it's everywhere and it's coming from global entities such as the UN and the World Economic Forum. How could we ever uh, fight this? But I am, I am happy to say that I am pleased that people are waking up to this and understanding it um, more and more each day. And there are three different things, that, uh, three different fronts that this will be a three-pronged approach um, on ESG. So it's not just about legislation, although that'll be a piece of it. It's definitely, I think a lot of this pushback is going to come from litigation. We already have uh, state attorney generals, including South Carolina's, joining many other states with lawsuits, um, all different types of lawsuits against ESG. We could have, I would love to see employees start pushing back and suing that they should not have to go through all of this DEI training. Um, it's it's racist and it's almost like being forced through a religion. That's correct. And shareholders are starting to sue. They're saying, you know, you've avoided your fiduciary duty by pursuing these CEI and ESG scores. And so we as shareholders have lost money and you have neglected your fiduciary duty. So there is lawsuits. There are also um, free market solutions. Um, now these, you know, takes a long time to build a parallel economy, but we are going to have to support those companies that are not ESG. So you can get on apps such as Public Square and That's find right. out where there are companies that are not um, complying with ESG. There's also um, Red Balloon, which is the new um, I guess employment site. So if you're looking for a job with a company that's not ESG, and then you know you have people like Vivek Ramaswamy who has investments that are non-ESG. So we're going to have to build up and support the parallel economy, and we also need to continue to vote with our wallets, like what you were talking about with the Budweiser. Yeah. And then finally, there's legislation. And um, really where this needs to get fixed is at the federal level. But um, they're actually, some of this stuff is so egregious that believe it or not, a bill passed this year through both the House and the Senate at the federal level, um, protecting our retirement funds. But Joe Biden vetoed it. That was his first and only veto. And so we know nothing can happen at the federal level. So we're going to have to fix this at the state level. And that's where we come in. Um, Mom and Pop Alliance, we introduced the very first ESG bill, oh gosh, a couple of years ago that we were, none of, at that point, none of the legislators had heard of this topic. Now I will say that ESG is a very hard thing to legislate against because it's coming through the private sector. 
Um, so legally, it's a really tough one to write bills um, that are good, that are, will work. But Florida has done a good job with this, and many states have pushed back in various ways. And we're going to continue. It's going to take several different ESG bills. There's no silver bullet on this. We're going to continue to keep working at the legislative level. Also, we'd like to see our governor um, in South Carolina join the other 19 states um, pushing back on this, there are 19 states that have formed what's called, I don't know if your listeners have heard of this, but it's called a compact or multi-state alliance. And it's where states join their political power together, um, pushing back onto something. And um, there is um, an ESG multi-state alliance. And 19 states have joined, but unfortunately, South Carolina, our governor did not sign on. So we are uh, working to educate folks about that and encouraging our governor to sign. And then our attorney general has done a great job joining these lawsuits and our treasurer has done a great job. So we just, we're going to be working with the legislature and the governor to get stronger on this pushback at ESG. Well, good. Now, how, sh- how do we encourage the governor? Just write a letter or what, what should we do? Well, you could do that, but um, we have, um, it's called um, Protect Our Palmetto Project going on right now. And you can go to our website and you can look that up. You can just go to momandpapalliance.org and you click on multi-state alliance and in there it tells you what you can do what we do is we have these cards that people are filling out to just encourage our governor uh, to join and we will get um, drone footage of all the cards once they're completed and then we will get them delivered to our governor to um, raise awareness on this issue and to put pressure on him to join these other 19 states Ah, that's a good idea i like it that's a great idea Right. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing all those cards laid out and uh, getting that drone footage. And so um, when we'll email the drone footage to folks and let them put it out on their social media. But uh, this is such an important, I can't think of really a more important issue because if we lose this, we lose free markets and representative government. That's right. That's right. Well, I encourage our, our listening audience to make this a matter of prayer. I encourage them to to participate in, in any way they can, go to the website for the Mom and Pop Alliance. I encourage you to, to be a part of Mom and Pop Alliance. Can, can average folks, do they have to own a small business to be a part of your organization? No, they don't. They do not have to own um, a business. People just, we call it Friends of Mom and Pop, and you can become a friend of Mom and Pop even if you don't own a business, but you just believe in our mission. A little bit about, um, I do donate my time to this organization. We do have a small yearly fee to help cover expenses. Uh, you know, we deliver popcorn to all 170 legislators several times throughout the session. Um, you know, of course, we have marketing and IT and legal fees and all kinds of stuff. So we, um, it's, it's $100 a year for folks to join, unless you're a bigger company, it's a little bit more, but $100 a year. And you know that when you join, it's staying within your state and every dime is going towards um, just operating costs, because I do this as a volunteer. I got you. I got you. And you're constantly down in, in Columbia lobbying these legislators, letting them know about, number one, the needs of small businesses, and number two, about the ESGs. Yes, we go down there a lot. I'm also traveling the state about ESGs. I've been delivering our ESG Explained presentation, and we've been all the way from Myrtle Beach to Charleston and everywhere in between Hartsville. We've been all at Columbia. We've been all over. So we're traveling this, this state and that. And and we're not just working on ESGs. We did work on Certificate of Need. And now we're helping, um, you know, I know 
we won't get into detail about this, but there is an issue with um, increased liability costs for all of uh, restaurants and bars and things in our state. And a lot of them may be forced to close because they can't afford the liability insurance because we need tort reform in our state. So that's a whole nother issue, but that's an, um, something we're helping those restaurant owners also. So um, we don't just focus on ESG, but ESG has been probably our main focus because of the seriousness of it. I got you. Well, I appreciate all of y'all's work on CON. That was a big win. That really was. Yes, that was thrilling. And that was not that was not just us. We worked with a lot of people, ton of organizations. I mean, that was not just us, but, I understand. but we did help and we did, went down there a couple times and testified and, and helped out in that effort. And that was a definitely a big team effort and we're thrilled to finally get that in our state. And another part about ESGs is people have to realize that it's not even just about business. I mean, we're seeing it in the schools, of course, and then we're seeing it, uh, DEI education, these DEI in Greenville, in the city of Greenville, they had a job opening for a DEI officer with a salary range of up to 121000 And then what we're, playing, we're paying new police officers, which we don't have enough of, 47000 And so to know that um, we're having this DEI officer in the city, plus the city government and the city police both have an LGBTQ liaison. And shockingly um i'd like to you know i wonder if other cities are do this people may want to may want to check this out um we have what they call strategic goals with our city police and forever the the strategic goal has always been combating crime has been the number one priority of course but this year the strategic goals the old ones were scrapped they were supposed to go till 2025 and they were scrapped and they were rewritten to go to 2027 and dei is the number one priority for our city police now Combating crime is going to be number two. Yeah, I understand that. And that, that's just so heartbreaking. Uh, you know, the average citizen, crime is the issue for them as far as the police are concerned. You know, DEI is so far down the list for the average citizen, it's just, <laughs> you can't even see it. It's so far down the list. I know. And to know that we're going to have this DEI officer that's going to be having a lot of input in major decisions within our city police, and he could make up to, he or she could be making up to three times what a police officer starts at. That's right. Um, it's just very, very concerning. And to, then to change our strategic plan um, and make DEI the number one priority is just shocking. You know, we see that in our military now, which you would never think would happen. And, but to see it uh, in Greenville, South Carolina, which you think is you know, a, a conservative southern city, and to see that was just very, very concerning. I understand. I do. I do. All right. Any last thoughts before we wrap it up? No, just hope people will consider supporting us. Check out our website, read through it, see if it's um, something that, it, that it, um, you think is worthwhile. And it's momandpopalliance.org. And we also have our Facebook page of Mom and Pop Alliance. And that's where we keep people up to date. And when they do join, they'll get uh, newsletters from us. We don't do them frequently. We don't want to slam your inbox, but we'll keep you up to date on what's happening on this issue and other really important issues around the state. We keep it nice and short and concise. We know business owners are busy. People are busy, but we hope um, to grow this organization because it's very much needed in our state. Well, Miss Diane, I want you to know I really appreciate what you're doing. There's folks in South Carolina that have small businesses. I know they appreciate what you're doing. I pray the Lord will bless you. You're listening to More Than Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Jackson. My guest today is Diane Hardy from the Mom and Pop Alliance of South Carolina. If you enjoy the program, we appreciate it if you would like, share, or follow 
and tell your friends about our program. I hope you enjoy the program and may the Lord bless you real good. And that's a wrap for this episode of More Than Medicine with my husband, Dr. Jackson. This is Carlotta thanking all of you for listening to our podcasts. We also have devotions with Dr. Papa that drops every Wednesday. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star review, follow and share the podcast, thereby encouraging us and influencing others to listen. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this edition of More Than Medicine. For more information about the Jackson Family Ministry, Dr. Jackson's books, or to schedule a speaking engagement, Go to their Facebook page, Instagram, or their webpage at jacksonfamilyministry.com. This podcast is produced by Bob Sloan Audio Production at bobsloan.com.